Great. Welcome to the Tuesday night Bible study. We're going to study the book of uh, Revelation chapter 22, picking it up at verse 6, and we hope to finish the, the book of Revelation tonight, if the teacher can get his act in gear. Revelation 22, where are we? We're obviously at the end of the book. We're at the end of the Bible, for that matter. These are God's last words to humanity. Um, it's not only the last book in our Bible, it's the last book that was written of the books in the Bible by a long shot, around 30 years. Um, we've come through the letters to the seven churches. We've come through the tribulation time. I'm going to review all this later, but this is the short version of the review. We have come through the second coming of the Lord Jesus, the binding of Satan in in the abyss for a thousand years while Jesus reigns on the earth, fulfilling all kinds of Old Testament prophecies that the uh, a descendant of David would reign on the throne of his father, David. Jesus reigns for a thousand years in a perfect world. We believers, if we're alive at the time or if we've passed away, we've received our glorified bodies now. We live and reign with Jesus on the earth in a thousand year millennium. When that ends, there's a brief rebellion. Satan is released, and quickly that rebellion is put down by Jesus. Satan and all unbelievers are judged and cast into the lake of fire. What happens from then on is what's called the eternal state, what many of us think of as heaven. There is a temporary abode when we die now, prior to all this happening on earth, Absent from the body, body goes into the grave. Spirit and soul go to be with God in, in heaven. We, we do go to heaven. But our ultimate eternal home is the new Jerusalem, new heavens, new earth, not up in the clouds somewhere, but in the new Jerusalem, which we read about earlier. So I'm going to just pick it up halfway. Chapter 21 describes the new Jerusalem with a lot of gemstones. But chapter 22, we get inside the city and we find out it's an unbelievably beautiful garden, a perfect world. So I'm gonna, we're going to pick it up in verse 6, but I'm going to start reading in verse 1. So I know that you're awake. Say amen. amen. Beautiful. And those of you on Zoom, hold up your amen signs. Thank you, Glenn. And everybody waving there. Beautiful. Okay. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. This is all in the eternal city, uh, the new Jerusalem, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city flows this river. I'm in verse 2. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Imagine that kind of a fruit tree in your backyard. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. That's the curse of Adam and Eve that brought sin and death and pain and sickness and every problem on planet Earth. That curse has been reversed. This is Garden of Eden restored, but much better because there's no Satan to tempt anybody. Nothing pure is gonna, uh, impure is going to ever enter the city. Still in the middle of verse 3, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. That's you and me. They will see his face, something Moses asked for and didn't get. 
They will see God's face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light. And they, that's the believers living in this city, all believers of all ages will reign forever and ever. Sound pretty good? I call this the brochure for your future home. Something to look forward to, right? Like a vacation. Oh, look at the hotel we're going to be at, honey. Um, pick it up in verse 6, and we're in Revelation 22. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. So this is sort of the epilogue. If you remember what an epilogue is in a story, the main part of the story has happened, the rising and falling action. If you know anything about stories, the antagonist, Satan, is in hell forever now, as is the Antichrist. This is the epilogue, just clearing up some loose ends in the story with some verification of the whole message. And that, that's what verse six is. These words are trustworthy and true. Well, you can't say that much when you hear politicians speak, can you? These words are trustworthy, totally true. A lot of this applies to the book of Revelation and to the whole Bible. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, the word inspires is to breathe into, inspires, right? Um, when someone dies, we say they expired. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the thing that must soon things that must soon take place god inspires he breathes the message into the individual prophets jeremiah isaiah whoever it is but john here is also a prophet and the message has been given by the holy spirit as it was to those other prophets but if you read the other prophets you quickly realize isaiah writes in a different style than peter who writes differently than paul who writes differently than john etc the individual retains their own personality and writing style, but with the Holy Spirit's oversight that nothing is in there that shouldn't be in there. So you see the different styles of writing, but God is never in heaven saying, oh, I didn't want that in the Bible. How did that get in there? God has preserved his word perfectly. So that's God who inspires the prophets He's the one who sent his angel to show his servants, that's us, the things that must soon take place. The word for soon is the, can also be uh, translated quickly or even suddenly. That'll come up again in a little while. I'm just looking at notes here. Yeah, concluding thoughts. Um, we're going to see, besides concluding thoughts, some cautions. Oh, there's more goodies. Um, some cautions <laughs> and our proper response to this. If you get the notes that I put together, I have a thing in there called the so what, meaning, okay, I get it, but so what for me in this year where I live and how do I practically apply this? We're going to see what the proper response for us is to this whole book, and then we'll review the book. I wanted to let you know that. Chapter six is reminding you and I that this is not pie in the sky. It's not too good to be true. The Bible never starts anything with once upon a time in a land far, far away. 
because it's history. It's real. Prophecy is interesting because it's predicting history ahead of time so that when it happens, people can say that had to be God. How could that guy have known that 2000 years ago or whenever it was written? In any case, um, yeah, oftentimes you see in the Bible, I'm coming quickly. You're going to see it three times tonight. Jesus saying that. Jesus is saying, watch in Matthew 24. I'm coming suddenly, quickly. Most of the scholars that I read said that that's ambiguous purposely. So that all generations, a thousand years ago, a hundred years ago, 20 years ago, 1800 years ago, they could read this. God wanted every generation to be expecting the Lord's return. Imagine if it wasn't that way and he had said, behold, I'm coming back September 19th, 2037. Whole generations would live differently because he's not coming back for a while. Even our generation, people would think, well, I'll, re I'll repent in August of that year, right? The eager expectation for Christ returning. Because remember, there's a fork in the road. What do you mean? I mean this. Everybody talks about be ready when Christ returns. Be ready. Don't let him find you in sin or in unbelief or in disobedience. And that's right. But the other fork in the road besides Christ returning, not to be morbid here, it's your death. It's mine. No man knows the day of the hour of Jesus' return. I got news for you. No man knows the day of the hour of their own passing, nor woman although women may be a little smarter than men. Anyway, we don't know when that'll be. So don't think, I'm going to repent in a few years. You might not have a few. You might get hit by a bus when you leave here. Anyway, now that I've depressed everyone, let's move on. Um, verse uh, 7. Look, King James is way better. Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this book or scroll. So the angel speaks. Do you see that in verse 6? The angel said to me, and he talks about the Lord God in the third person. Suddenly the speaker changes here in our little play. Verse 7 is somebody else talking. How do you know, Joe? Because who's coming soon, class? It's the Lord Jesus, right? Now Jesus has the microphone. Look, behold, I'm coming soon. Against the same Greek word, it can mean suddenly, it can mean quickly. Um, and uh, then he gives a beatitude. You remember the beatitudes that start Matthew 5? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. This is another beatitude. There's a lot of sevens in the book of Revelation. There are seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Blessed is this time it's, blessed is the one who heeds or keeps the words, we're going to talk about what that means, of the prophecy written in this book. So this whole book, this is the only book of the Bible that promises a blessing for those that read it and keep it and hear it. So he's saying, who's blessed? The one who keeps or hears these words. What does it mean to keep them or hear them or some translations have heed them? It's one thing to hear something and it goes in one ear and out the other. It's a whole different thing to keep it. Part of keeping it is remembering it, but part of keeping it is keeping it in the sense of keeping his commands, obedience, right? 
Don't read this in the third person. Those people read it as if you're in the story because you are, and so am I. So the one that's blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in the scroll. That confirms that the book of Revelation is a different genre than the other books of the New Testament, which are, for the most part anyway, not prophecy. This whole book is prophecy. That verse confirms it. Do we want to go there now or do we want to wait? Um, I think we want to wait on that, but I hope I don't forget. In any case, um, so, uh, well, I'll say this about that. Second Peter 3, we're going to go there in a little while. You don't need to turn there now. Second Peter 3 is the so what? for the end of the world, for the coming of Christ. In other words, and what he's saying is, in that passage I'll show you in a little while when it uh, comes up again, what he says is, considering all these things, the earth's oh, it's all gonna burn, God's gonna, Christ is gonna come back, there's gonna be a judgment. His so what is this, what sort of people should we be with that knowledge? The, the atheist thinks there's no judgment, when you die you rot in the ground and that's the end of that person. So there's no day of reckoning. There's no judgment day. There's no reason to do anything except what you want to do. The Bible teaches a, a totally different story, doesn't it? Um, so blessed is the one who keeps the words. I hope each of us remember what we've studied here. Review it, keep it, read it again. This is my third time teaching Revelation. I saw things this time I never saw before. It's a supernatural book keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. They didn't have books in those days. That's why it says scroll. Verse 8, I, John, look, new speaker, angel, verse 6, Jesus, verse 7, I, John, verse 8, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. Verse 9, but he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keeps the word who keep the words of this scroll worship God John uh, Piper has a sermon on chapter 22 and he really he reads the whole chapter he honestly he doesn't cover anything in the chapter the whole sermon is the two words at the end of verse nine. Do you see him? Worship God. It's a wonderful sermon. Anyway, this is John. This is the apostle John, not the John the Baptist. All the other disciples, um, uh, I shouldn't say disciples, all the other apostles are dead by this time, long since dead. John's a very old man. He was the youngest of the apostles. And uh, he gets this vision on the island of Patmos. Some people think he wrote it there. Some people he's, think he's freed later and goes to Ephesus, where he's a very old man, and he writes down then what he remembers. Who knows? But anyway, he tells you, I'm the one. Jesus already said these words are trustworthy and true. John's going to say, I'm the one. This is not, listen, hearsay. Somebody told me, I heard and I saw these things, he says, and I wrote them down. And when I had heard and seen them, he made the second mistake. Remember chapter 19, he does the same thing. The message is so overwhelming to him, so awesome, so incredible, he just is overcome and falls down and worships an angel without thinking. He's an Orthodox Jew, John was, then a Christian. 
He knew you're not supposed to worship anybody except God, but he just got a little carried away. And angels are majestic, awesome individuals. But this is not a fallen angel. A fallen angel would receive the, the uh, worship. This angel knows, no, 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 get up, don't do that. See right away. I fell down at the feet of the angel to worship. But he said to me, don't do that, verse 9. I'm a fellow servant. Angels are fellow servants. We're going to flip to Hebrews 1 in a second. You can start turning there if you want. I'm a fellow servant with you. What an honor that we are servants of the Most High God along with angels. Pretty amazing thing. Angels are spirit beings. I don't think they have gender, but every angel that has a name in the Bible is a male name. Does that mean there's no female angels? I don't know that there's male or female, but Michael, Gabriel are the two names. The Jews had traditions for some other names of angels, but in any case, um, that's the two names. I'm a fellow servant with you. Who are we servants of? God, Christ, right? And with your fellow prophets. He confirms that John is a prophet of God right there. Your fellow prophets, meaning Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all the Old Testament ones. Last prophet of the Old Testament. Anybody know? It's a surprising answer because he doesn't appear in the Old Testament. He's talked about, but he doesn't appear until the New Testament. The last Old Testament Jewish prophet is John the Baptist, who announces the coming of Christ before he really starts his ministry. He baptizes Jesus. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all that's you and I who keep the words of the prophecy of this scroll because, there it is again, the time is near. You say, well, now wait a minute, this is written 2,000 years ago. The time is near. When we go to 2 Peter 3 in a second, sometime, I'll show you that Peter in that passage says that for God, a 1,000 years is like a day. And a day is like a 1,000 years. Well, it's been 2,000 years. Yeah, that's a couple days for God, right? Um, um, yeah, and there's that phrase, worship God. There are so many things people worship. And don't doubt it. Everybody worships something or someone. Everybody. They might worship their spouse, their kids, their parents, their job, money, fame, power, sex, uh, possessions, knowledge. I have four PhDs, and it's all worship. We're, Bob Dylan, when, in the two Christian albums he put out, one of them, he has a song where he says, uh, it might be the devil, and it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Remember that voice? <laughs> Anyway, um, it's so true, though. Be careful about what you worship. Well, how do I know what I'm worshiping? I'll tell you. Whatever you say, if I lost that, life would no longer be worth living. You got a problem. Because you will. You're going to lose it when you die. You're going to lose it when it burns. You're going to lose it when you spend your money and it's gone or it's gone in the stock market or you invested with that guy with the curly hair with the um, cryptocurrency. You, believe me, it's all going to burn. Why not worship? Why not invest in something you can't possibly lose, which is your salvation, which is God, which is Christ? Amen. Uh, worship God. 
Worship comes from the words, English words, worth-ship, where you count God worthy. That's why we bow down to him. There's a sermon, um, just lost his name. Tony Evans has a great sermon about worship and praise. And he says in that sermon, worship is down. Praise is up. What do you mean down? I don't mean down like depressed, but worship is proskuneo in Greek. It means literally to bow down, to get on your knees, to put your face in the dirt in front of something. You're bowing down, showing that you feel that you are less than that thing or that person, right? It's, it's very reverent. It's bowing down. Praise is up. Praise can be loud. I'm not saying worship can't be loud too, but praise can be loud. Worship is up toward God, uh, uh, praises up toward God. Okay, verse 10. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll. There it is again. Because the time is, what? Near. Purposely ambiguous, he wanted every generation, including ours, <clears throat> to be watchful. And of all generations, I can categorically tell you, the second coming of the Lord Jesus is closer now than it's ever been. And I say that facetiously, but it's true. You read the headlines, do you see what's going on? Uh, a lot of the things, a friend of mine called me from Florida and said, man, the last Bible study, everything you were, and the ones before it, everything we're, I'm reading in Revelation, I'm looking at that, and I'm looking at the newspaper going, this is all happening. In any case, we need to be ready. Abide in the light of the presence of Jesus, expecting him to come back at any time. Our work in the Lord is never, ever in vain, ever. Keep his coming in mind. He'll reward faith. Keep heaven in mind. So um, the correct response, first correct response is back in verse 8. Immediate worship. Now John blows it because he worships the wrong thing. But God wants us to know and him to know, no, no, worship God. Because the reason we're there in the New Jerusalem, in heaven, saved, forgiven, it has nothing to do with how great you and I are. It's all him. It's all grace, undeserved. Um, we already talked about that. By the way, in the Bible, <clears throat> Hebrews 1, let's go there now. I want to show you that angels worship Jesus. Um, gosh, I don't want to read this whole chapter. Um, read verse one of Hebrews one in the, in the, uh, by the way, that's to the left about maybe eight or nine books, uh, short books. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe creator. The son, Jesus, listen is the radiance of God's glory and the approximate representation. Is that what it says? Exact representation of, his, of God's being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Um, verse five, and this is a rhetorical question. This is a common thing in Hebrew where they ask a question where the expected answer is no or none, negative, like this. For to which of the angels, verse 5, did God ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father? Did he ever say that to any of the angels? Answer, no. 
Or again, I will be his father, he will be my son. Did he ever say that to any angel? No. Jehovah's Witnesses believe Jesus is Michael, the archangel. Wrong. Take him to this passage. Um, and verse 6, and again, when God brings his firstborn, that's Jesus, into the world, he says, let all God's angels, what? Worship him. Well, we got a little problem there because God says in the Old Testament, I'm, the, I'm God and there's no other. Isaiah 41, 44, 45, I'm the only God. I will not share my glory with another. Worship only God. And yet, what is God telling angels to do here? Worship who? Jesus. Meaning what? Jesus is God. How about, does God ever call Jesus God? Yes, look at verse 8 from the Old Testament. But about the Son, he says, your throne, O who? Calls Jesus God. Your throne about the Son. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Um, God, you're God, and all of that. Okay, um, skipping down to verse 14. Are not all angels ministering? Ministering means serving. Ministering servants, ministering spirits, sorry, sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Did you see that? What are angels? They're servant spirits, much more powerful than you and I, but they are made to do what? Serve those who will inherit salvation. Who's that? You. That's a pretty amazing thing. Go back to Revelation. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay. Are we done with Revelation yet? No, but we're getting there. Joe's got to talk faster. Um, don't seal up, verse 10, the words of this prophecy because the time is near. You know, near, because Daniel was told, he asked some questions at the end of the book of Daniel, and he was told, seal up the prophecy for now. I've got more to say. It'll become clearer later. John is not told that. It's supposed to be an open book that we're supposed to look into. What's implied in that is this. This is not some book of weird symbolism where you could, eh, you just can't understand it. Seven heads and ten horns. Let's just read Ephesians or Matthew or John that we can understand. The implication is we are to read it, understand it, keep it, obey it, heed it, because we can understand it. Um, don't seal it up. It's an open word, open message. Okay, verse 11, I'll admit, it's a little weird. You see it? Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. Let the holy person continue to be holy. Huh? Isn't that odd? At first reading, you go, wow. Isn't the whole thing of Christianity that the vilest sinner like me can be changed? Is this saying that's not true? No. But it is saying what the Old Testament says. Seek the Lord. He's available anytime. No, no. Seek the Lord, listen, while he may be what? Found. Meaning what? You ever watch TV? It's a limited time offer. <laughs> Call now. What do you mean? I mean, I think that this verse is talking about, and so do most of the commentaries, Jesus is coming suddenly. The time is near. We've already seen it a few times, haven't we? 
The point is, it'll be so sudden. Jesus says in Matthew 24, like the way lightning flashes from east to west, does it go like this? Slowly? No, it's boom. We just had lightning this past weekend. Amen. What's the point? It's so sudden there won't be time for last minute change. Oh, Jesus is here. Okay, I believe I repent. Too late. Eh, the buzzer went off. They don't give the two-minute two warning. Receive Jesus or go to hell. They, there's nothing like that. The, the state of a person's uh, spiritual being is fixed forever at some point. When Jesus returns, there's no second chance. Okay, okay, I'm sorry, I believe. Too late. Some scholars believe not only what I just said, but also we just came through a seven-year tribulation before the thousand years where a lot of people, the majority on planet Earth, took a mark on their hand or forehead and worshipped Antichrist. They made their choice. Chapter 14, I believe it is, talks about the fact that once that happens, there's no turning back. Seek the Lord while he may be found. In that time, the one who's doing wrong is going to continue to do wrong. In fact, evil is going to increase. The, uh, Timothy, the two Timothy books talk about that at the end. And men will call good evil and evil good. Is that happening now? Good Lord, is it happening now? Let the one who continues to do wrong, sorry, who does wrong, continue to do wrong. Let the vile person, evil, continue to be vile. That state that they find themselves in at the second coming is the state they will be in forever. Too late. But on the other hand, let the one who does right continue to do right. Let the holy person continue to be holy. And we will, because you can't lose your salvation. You're in good hands. John 10, 27, 28, Jesus says, my sheep, listen, hear my voice. Uh, he saves them. He holds them in his hand. No one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. No one can snatch them out of Jesus's hands. Remember the Allstate commercial? You're in good hands. No way can you snatch yourself even out of God's hands. There is a point at which the uh, conditioned souls are in will be that way forever. Uh, we already talked about that. So the implication is what? Change while there's time. He's about to give a great invitation later in this chapter. Uh, and if, uh, seek the Lord while, while he may be found by, found by the way is Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. If the warnings here aren't enough in this book, God doesn't have anything else to say. And indeed, since the book of Revelation was written, you know how much scripture has been written? None. This is it. And this is the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. Hence, the need to pay attention. Okay, there it is again, verse 12. Look, I'm coming soon. A little bit of new information. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to their deeds, their works, what they have done. Who's coming soon? Jesus, right? Is God the Father coming soon? Is the Holy Spirit coming soon? No. It's clearly Jesus again and again. You'll see it at the end where he explains, I'm, it's me talking. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward 
is with me. Now, there's other reasons to look forward to him coming soon. Evil will be judged forever. Satan will be bound forever in the lake of fire. The Antichrist will be defeated, will be rewarded, right? The reward is eternal life, fellowship with God. Now, there are individual rewards for certain services people have given to the kingdom of God that weren't done for their own aggrandizement, but they were done for his glory. Those things are rewards as well. But his reward is with him. And I will give, now this is a double meaning here, I'll give to each person according to what they've done. You've given to the church when they were building or something. You've given your time to the church in some way or to the kingdom of God or to evangelism or you've witnessed for others. You've used your talent for God's glory. That's what you've done. That's your deeds. On the other hand, you said, no thanks, Jesus, get out of my life. I'll be the master of my own destiny. You've sinned, and those sins are still on your soul. They're forever unforgiven. He's going to reward, it's a play on words, in a bad way, those people. But it all comes down to what they've done. You say, well, I, I didn't live that good of a life before I was a Christian. The one thing you did that's the reason you're in heaven is you received the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not a work that you can pat yourself on the back over. That is grace that he drew you, John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. He drew you in. Hence, we owe him everything. My rewards with me, I'll give to each person according to what they've done. Believe me, you don't want what you deserve. You ever hear, I want what I deserve from God. No, you don't. Because everybody in this room, everybody on Zoom, deserves hell. We've sinned. Jesus took our punishment on the cross. It's an amazing thing. Verse 13. Well, who are you that's talking, that's coming soon? We know it's Jesus because of verse 12 and the other verses. 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Alpha, Omega. First letter, last letter of the Greek alphabet. English, I'm the A and the Z the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Well, isn't that nice? It is, except we got another problem. Because if Jesus isn't God, this is blasphemy. Because in the Old Testament, guess who the Alpha and the Omega is? God the Father. Who's the first and the last in Isaiah? God the Father. What's going on here? Jesus is God. The beginning and the end, he's saying the totality of everything, I'm the starter, the beginning, all things were created by him and for him, and in him all things consist. He's the creator, the beginning, and the beginner, right? The author and finisher of our faith, beginning and end. Um, it's a way of all-encompassing. All He's saying, I'm your everything. If you grew up in the, if you were alive in the 1970s, you remember the, um, oh, I just lost his name. You're my first, my last, my everything. Barry White, of all people to mention at a Bible study. But anyway... <laughs> my everything. Bee Gees, I just want to be your everything. The, Gib, the youngest Gibson who died. God is our everything. Beautiful. Um, okay, I'm still reading notes here. Uh, he's reminding us who he is and the, the fact that he's God. A Jew would see that immediately. Um, 
It, it speaks to his eternality. It, it, what's implied there, if you're the beginning and the end, is that you're outside of time. He sees all of time like a, par a parade looks from an airplane. You see the beginning over there, the end over there, outside of space and time. Because of that, it's no sweat for God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, to predict the future with perfect accuracy, right? Okay, everybody's confused. Let's keep rolling. Let's get to uh, the pets are coming in a second. I'll show you what I mean by that. So he's the Alpha and the Omega. Another beatitude, verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. That's the new Jerusalem. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Okay, so um, some translations. Does anybody have um, who keep the commands or do the commands, that kind of thing? Okay, certain translations have that. You go, wait a minute. That's a huge difference. It turns out those two things are each a really long, I'm talking 14 or 15 letters, Greek word. And there's two letters that are different. So some manuscripts have one, some have the other. The meaning is not lost, don't worry, because either way, if you keep his commands, you've washed your robes. Wash your robes means in the blood of Christ, that's his forgiveness. Washed uh, robe speaks, garment speaks of some, someone's spiritual condition. Blessed are the ones who wash their robes or keep the commands either way. What about those people who obey this book, obey God, who are for, truly forgiven, who've washed their robes? What about them? They may have the right to the tree of life. That goes back to Genesis which would have caused Adam and Eve to live forever. Remember, we looked at that last week in chapter three. They had to be kicked out of the Garden of Eden after they sinned because God says, lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever in this state of evil. No, they have to die. Not anymore. Now they can eat of the tree of life. Who? The ones that wash their robes, the ones that keep the commands of God, the saved ones, and may go through the gates into the city. Translation, get to heaven, right? It doesn't say anything uh, about any other thing they need to do. Um, the interesting thing about 14 is his commands, every one of them are for our own good. Everything he forbids in the Bible, right? Because there's a lot of thou shalt not. Every one of those is bad for you. Every one. And all the things he commands that we do, you don't just do them because that's what you want me to do. They're good for you as well as for the kingdom of God. Every single command of God. If you're um, my age or older, there was a TV show, black and white, in the 50s called, and early 60s, Father Knows Best. Oh, some of you are old as me. The Father knows best. His commands, you may say, I don't know about that command or that thou shalt not. If it feels good, do it. You know, I grew up in the 70s. No, listen, Father knows best. All the commands are for our own good, for his glory. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, we already talked about that. Um, back to the text. How are we doing on time? Almost time to take our break. Um, so the, that verse 14 ends with 
access to the gates, to be able to go into the city. That's what we'll do. But he wants you to know who can go in and who is forever outside in verse 15. Outside are the dogs. Oh, you say, I love my dog. We have somebody that brought their dog tonight. The dogs didn't make it. Did the cats make it? Parrots, fish? It's not what you think. Outside are the dogs. Then he defines it. And I don't know any dog that practices magic arts or sorcery, do you? Those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Translation, outside are the sinners. The ones that kept on sinning refused the gift of salvation. Now listen, it sounds like there's the gates of the city. Remember, it's 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. Remember, San Diego to uh, Houston, up to Minneapolis, over to Seattle, and down to San Diego. It's a huge city, and it's 1,500 miles high. Do you remember we talked about that last week? It sounds like there's the gates, 12 gates, and right outside the gates is the, the dogs, the evil ones that sinned. That's not what it means. They're nowhere near the city. They're so far outside that they're outside the presence of God and all things holy forever. What do you mean? I mean they're in hell, the lake of fire, forever. So that's why nothing impure, chapter 21 talks about, will ever enter this city. They are not outside, right outside the gate looking in. They're far, far, far away. It doesn't mean dogs can't be there. The Bible doesn't talk about that. Who knows? Would it be gracious of God to bring your dog back that you love so much? Absolutely. Wouldn't surprise me. I can't sell it by showing you in the over in here, uh, Golden Retrievers 9, verse 11, you know. Okay. Uh, outside of the dogs, those who practice sorcery, magic arts. That's the Greek word. We saw it earlier in this book, pharmakia, from which we get pharmacy. So this is occult magic arts spell casting, all that new age stuff. It is also drugs, the use of drugs. Oh, you mean like heroin and cocaine and all that? Yes. Do you also mean pharmaceutical drugs? Yes. Well, you know, my doctor, I don't mean that. But you know how many people in our country are hooked on drugs? Pharmaceutical, legal drugs? That's mind-altering stuff. Uh, I think it's all of the above. The sexually immoral speaks for itself. These are not, oops, I slipped. These are patterns of life. You either abide in Christ or you abide in sin. These are the sexually immoral. That defines who they are. The murderers, something like 63 million babies have been killed in America alone. Abortion. Are you saying that's an unforgivable sin? I'm not saying God can forgive that sin along with others. If you haven't asked forgiveness, whether you're the man or the woman, you should do it. The idolaters, that's those who worship anything except the real God, right? Even greed, Colossians says greed is, a, is idolatry. And everyone who loves and practices falsehood or lying, so most politicians 
are, are in trouble there. Um, let's take our two-minute break, stretch our aging bodies. If you're here, say hello to someone that you don't know. That's really important. Those of you on Zoom, I'm going to turn my screen off. I'll be right back. Don't go away. Find your seats back there, if you will. All right, we are back in Revelation chapter 22. Everybody's got their treats. Two things I forgot to mention. Number one, um, Wendy, who's here tonight, knowing that this is the passage we're going to cover, and I know it'll be backwards on Zoom, gave me this little ornament for Christmas trees, and it says Alpha and Omega, Revelation 1.8. Isn't that cool? Order now. These are 1995. No. Okay. And the other thing I wanted to mention, um, go back to verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Blessed are those who keep the commands. Listen, if you are obeying God, that's a good thing. If you are obeying the word of God, it's a good thing. However, that is not the means, the mechanism through which you're saved. Don't think of it as, look, I'm obeying, you owe me now, heaven. That is the evidence that you are saved. The only reason you and I are able to obey him is because we've been given the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in a few minutes. Okay, verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes, right to the tree of life, and go through the gates of the city. Verse 15, outside are all, all the evil will never be there. Vicious dogs won't be in heaven. Okay, I'm just kidding. All right, verse 16. First two words of that verse don't appear anywhere else in the whole Bible. You can look if you want. Verse 16. I, Jesus. You know, Jesus is the most important figure in human history. Even Time Magazine in the 70s, liberal, um, secular Time Magazine said so. Most important figure that's ever lived, Jesus Christ. Amazing, died around in his early to mid-30s. Amazing, he didn't write anything, technically. He did write the seven letters to the seven churches, and he's speaking here, isn't he? But it's, it's an amazing life. And he says, I, Jesus, he wants you to know I had a role in this book. Yes, it's the, the author line says, John the apostle, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony. May I insert the word precisely? Jesus is not in heaven going, oh, I, I wish I could edit some of this out and change it. Forget it. He's preserved his word. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this, this is verse 16, testimony for the Churches, immediate meaning, the seven churches, Philadelphia, remember Sardis, Laodicea, but all the churches in history, all believers is who's being written to. How do you know that? Because seven times in those chapters two and three, which are the seven letters of the seven churches, every single letter says the same thing seven times. It gets a little old. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Meaning what? This is for you, me, him her, everyone. So I, Jesus, sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. And now here's an interesting thing. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Believe me when I say we won't, but we could spend three weeks on just the second half of verse 16. What do you mean you're the root 
of David. Root means the beginner of David, the creator of David, meaning what? God. I'm the root. I'm where David came from. Remember, Jesus lived centuries after King David lived. So he's getting his time mixed up. Or is he? Is he the creator, the root of David? Then that means he's God. Okay, Jesus is God. But he's not a human being. No, he is. And the offspring, the descendant of David. Both? Both. No wonder I'm the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, right? I am the root of David, and I'm the offspring of David. There's his humanity. It's an incredible thing. Um, that's a title of the Messiah in Isaiah 11.1. 1. We won't turn there, but um, that's important. Uh, let's see. So uh, we have Jesus' word here in this book. That's what he's telling us. That's why it's so important we remember it. Um, do we want to go there? I'm afraid to go there because we might run out of time. No, we got time. Let's go. Psalm 110. Psalm, middle of the Bible, roughly. If you're, whoops, if you go to Isaiah, you got to go left. Proverbs, take a left. And then Psalm, Psalms, 110. Starts out so strangely. Psalm 110. The Lord, who's writing this? David. Who's the Lord? God. God the Father? Yes. The Lord said to my Lord, wait a minute, David, you have a Lord other than God the Father? Something wrong here. It's the Lord God said to David's Lord, Jesus. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That's quoted in the New Testament referring to Jesus. Um, you'll rule in the midst of your enemies, etc. Okay, I just wanted to go through that with you. Um, Matthew 22, he talks about being David's um, ancestor and also his descendant, if you will. Uh, the maker of David. Okay, um, that was verse 16. Oh, we still have more uh, notes. Yeah, are there two lords? The two lords are Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. Wait, that's three. And the three are, Sandra and I were just talking about this, the one God. One what? Revealed in three persons. Uh, we talked about that. Okay, there's one more phrase. I am the root and the offspring of David, that's King David, and the Messiah was supposed to sit on King David's throne and have something no man could ever have. Do you remember what it is? An eternal kingdom. We got a little problem because all men die. How could you have an eternal kingdom unless you're God? But what about this bright and morning star? This goes back to Numbers 24. It's another Messiah title. Um, in uh, the first, uh, morning star means the first visible star. Being a musician, I'm never up that early, but those of you that are crazy enough to get up when it's still dark, and uh, some of you go, um, when it's dark, the first um, star uh, that announces the new day is sort of what it's saying, the bright morning star, usually held to be, by the way, the planet Venus. Um, Let's see, that morning star sh shines to announce a new day. Jesus is the one who heralds, announces a new 
the dawning of a new day in history, which is the eternal state, the millennium since his coming. He's the bright and morning star. Um, he's the star that would come forth from Jacob, Numbers 24, 17. That's what that's about. By the way, the root and the offspring, the roots buried in the ground, you don't see the root usually. But the morning star, you, everybody sees it. Kind of an interesting contrast there. Okay, let's keep reading. You say, is he going to make it? Yes, we'll make it. Verse 17. We can speed up the tape and knock really fast and get done. Chapter 22, verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Let's, let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Okay, last week, somebody came up to me and said, you know, we've been through this whole book of Revelation and in the millennium, in the second coming, and in the eternal state, there's no need of the Son, remember, because the Father and Jesus shine their light. And this person said to me, it was Doreen, said to me, where's the Holy Spirit? And here he is, five or six verses before the end of the book, typical of the Holy Spirit. You know, God has a personal name, Old Testament, Yahweh. The Messiah has a personal name, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, right? Jesus of Nazareth. Holy Spirit, there's no name. He's the Holy Spirit. He never calls attention to himself. It's always shining the glory toward God and Christ. But he's every bit God. Here he is. So this is the proper response. The proper response to what? Everything in this book. Everything in Revelation. Knowing how great heaven's going to be, the new Jerusalem, the millennium. Knowing how great it's going to be to have Antichrist be sent to hell. To have Satan go to hell forever. All the thing, all the rewards, all the good that's going to come out of Jesus showing up on planet Earth. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, verse 17, and the bride, who's that class? The church. Believers, this is our proper response, right along with the Holy Spirit, say what? Come. Who are they talking to? Jesus. Maranatha, the sooner, the better, right? Is anybody here, or I almost feel bad saying this, is anybody here so attached to their life on planet Earth that they feel like, I hope Jesus doesn't come back very soon. I got some things I want to accomplish. I want to see my daughter get married. I want to see this. I want to have children, whatever. Listen, believe me when I say the proper response is, come Lord Jesus, the sooner the better, come back to planet Earth. We can't wait because you know what? There's no earthly hope for this planet. I got news for you. I'm not a pessimist by nature. But you read the headlines, we can solve the problems ourselves. There's a Greek word for that, baloney. <laughs> the spirit and the bride say the same thing. The church and the spirit both say, come to the Lord Jesus. The sooner you can come back, the better. We're anticipating it. We're looking for it. We can't wait for it to happen. The answer to Doreen's question is, where's the Holy Spirit? Been in the church the whole time. That's the reason they're the church. That's the reason you can obey. That's the reason you're sitting in a Bible study on Tuesday night 
whether you know it or not. It's not that interesting. Okay, the food is good, but, and the coffee. But the reason you're here is God made you thirsty for this. Me too. That's where the Spirit's been the whole time. No name. He never calls attention to himself. He's always shining the spotlight on Jesus and on God. Holy Spirit is a louder conscience inside of every believer. The moment you believe, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes the Word of God blossom and come alive. Try reading the Bible like I did before I was a Christian, and you just it makes no sense. Now you read it again, the same thing, and you go, oh, they must have changed. They didn't change it. You changed. You now can dial in to KHS, which is K-Holy Spirit, the radio station. I'm just kidding. The bride and the spirit, that's the proper response. Come back, Lord Jesus, the sooner the better. Now there's a play on words. Don't get confused in verse 17. And let the one who hears say, come. Wait, who is that? Who's the one who hears? We, we, we already have, it can't be Christians. Why not? Because that was already mentioned. That's the bride of Christ is the church, believers. So who is this? This is the person that's an unbeliever, that's reading this book of Revelation, that's hearing the gospel. Maybe they don't read Revelation, but they hear the gospel, and they really hear it. What did I quote in John 10? My sheep hear my voice, implying what? Those that aren't my sheep, they don't even hear it. You ever witness to somebody and it's like you're trying to sell Tupperware and they're going, yeah, whatever. And then other people, they start crying and they go, I, I have to hear more. Let the one who hears, that's the person that the Holy Spirit is doing this to, drawing. Let them say, come. You mean come Jesus to planet earth? In a sense, but no. Come into my heart. That's what you said when you became a believer. Come into my life, not as my advisor only, not as my bellhop that I ring the bell and you do what I want. Come in as Lord and Savior. It's a double meaning. It's the word C-O-M-E. Come to planet earth. But the one who hears ought to be saying, he's hearing. Don't ignore it. Say, come. Now he's going to restate that. Let the one who is thirsty come. What does it mean to be thirsty? What do you know about a thirsty person? They have a need and they've recognized it. God built our bodies so that we don't just, boom, what happened? He died of thirst. He didn't know he was thirsty. No, you know when you're thirsty, right? I'll show you right now. No. Um, the person recognizes their need. You mean for water? Yes, the water of life, eternal life. The thirsty person realizes, I'm empty spiritually. God makes that person thirsty. He's saying to that person who has a need spiritually and recognizes it, let the one who, uh, who is thirsty come. Come to Jesus and high five him. No, get on your knees and worship him, and beg him to come into your life. And of course he will. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Now that's important. You see the word there? What's the verb? Take. There are people that err, make an error and say, you know, it's all God. 
God does it all. We don't do anything. Then there's people that think, no, no, you earn your salvation. Mormons going door to door. You know why they're doing that? They have to earn their salvation. Can't be sure you're saved in Mormonism. Jehovah's Witnesses, same thing. Listen, belief is an act of God where he draws you. And yet you must do something. Take, right? Until you take it, the gift. Are you saying that's a work? No, I'm saying that there has to be a receiving of the free gift. If it remains wrapped under your tree and you never open it, do you really own what's in the box? No. Open the free gift. Let the one who wishes human will take the free gift of the water of life. It's a euphemism, a symbolism of uh, salvation. Take the water of life. Remember the river that flows down the middle of the city? It comes from the throne, tree of life, all of that. How many are totally confused? Okay, perfect. Um, let's see, we already talked, uh, now I'm looking at my notes. Um, yeah, we talked about that. Uh, how do you know that God worked in your heart? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Is the Bible starting to make sense to you? Are you obeying more than you ever thought you would? Were you thirsty? Did you ask Jesus to come into your life? This whole verse is chock full of meaning. Let the spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus, the sooner the better. Let the one who hears, I'm on the fence, but I am hearing and I'm trying to, do you ever do this? I did it. I knew, 1979, and I was resisting, resisting, thinking, I can do this. I can live with one foot in the world and one foot in church. And God knocked me off the fence on the right side. Let the one who's thirsty, are you thirsty? Have you exhausted all the human possibilities and you're still thirsty? Come to Jesus. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Verse 18, warnings. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. That's revelation. All these things, though, can mean the whole Bible. Okay, keep in mind, there's a reason these are the closing verses of the whole book. Okay, look, listen to the category. Who's he warning? Everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of the scroll, that's you and millions of others, billions have read this book, right? Here comes the warning. God says, don't mess with my word. Don't tamper with it. Don't hotwire it to make it say what you want it to say. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. Ouch. You remember the plagues? Pretty bad, right? The ones in Egypt were bad. They're really bad here. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. Wow. Don't mess with God's word. Uh, how do people add to it? Well, the Mormons have three other sacred books. All the cults pretty much have other writings that they consider on par with the Bible or even better, more important. Mormons study the Book of Mormon way more than they study the Bible. Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, Doctrine and Covenants, and the Bible insofar as it's correctly translated. That's what they always say. Jehovah's Witnesses have the uh, Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. What they say goes. 
Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe Jesus is God. So, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, listen, and the Word was God. You can get a thousand Greek scholars in here, translate it. They'll say what I just said. What does the Jehovah's Witness Bible say? The New World Translation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, small g. It's only one letter, come on. Don't mess with God's word. Don't add to it. Don't subtract to it. You think you're smarter than God? I know what it should say. Really? Whew. This is a severe warning about adding to the word. Verse 19, the converse. And if anyone takes away, take words away from the scroll of this prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. You ever meet people that think the Bible's like a smorgasbord that you can, I don't like 1 Corinthians 15. We just don't study that here. The Jews don't read Isaiah 53 because it's so clearly Jesus, the Messiah, who's pierced for our sins and by his wounds were healed. They, don't, they take away. We are commanded to teach the whole, we who preach or teach, to teach, listen, the whole counsel of God. That's why this Bible is what's called expositional Bible teaching. If you go to a church where they don't do that, get out and find one where they do it. What is that? It's where you pick a book of the Bible. We're going to study 2 Chronicles, chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to the end, every verse. You hear me say sometimes, verse 11 is a little difficult. Let's just skip it. We never skip, do we? I have a boss that I don't want to disappoint. I don't want plagues. The whole counsel of God. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. Um, let's see. Other ways that people add is they make it say things it doesn't say. Take things out of context. The Bible has a, a true meaning in every word and every sentence. But you can, if you're crafty enough, grab a sentence here and a sentence over there and make it say some pretty off-the-wall things. Let me give you an example. And Judas went and hanged himself. Is that in the Bible? Yes. Okay, here's another verse. Go thou and do likewise. So I took those two out of context, didn't I? The point is, God really wants us to take it seriously. I want you to turn now to Genesis 3. And yes, I know we're starting to run out of time, but we're okay. Turn to Genesis 3. I want to show you where this tampering with God's word began. Way back in Genesis 3? Yes. Remember, we, what do we call the Bible? The what? The word of God. God's word. God, God's words. Now, the serpent, verse uh, 1 of chapter 3 of Genesis, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, can you trust that Bible? You know, it's been changed. They took reincarnation out. It's, it's, you really, uh, it's written by men. A lot of the books are missing. Some of the books shouldn't be in there. Did God really say, who's saying this again? The devil questioning God's word. By the way, 
He's about to misquote God. Watch. Did God really say you must need from, not eat from any tree in the garden? You read chapter 2. God didn't say that. He said there's only one tree you can't eat out of. You can eat of all the others. Satan changes the word and questions the veracity of the word of God. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. That's the knowledge of good and evil tree, if you will. Satan, verse four, his line, you will surely not die. Translation, God's wrong. God knows, verse eight, that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God. See, God doesn't have your best interest at heart, Eve. I'm on your side. That's where it all began. And the cults change the word of God. They demote Jesus. They make a mockery of the Bible. There are translations of the Bible that are gender neutral. There are translations of the Bible that call God she. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, it's a big deal. Plagues. Don't mess with God's word. Okay, briefly, the Bible can be completely trusted. I've done this acronym before. I owe it to Hank Hanegraaff from the Bible Answer Man show a million years ago. M-A-P-S, maps. The back of every most Bibles, there's maps. That's how you're going to remember this. How do you know the Bible's true and is uh, inspired? I, this, years ago, I gave this sermon at a couple different churches. Number one, M, manuscript evidence. There's no other book of antiquity that long ago uh, that has that many manuscripts. 25,000 ancient manuscripts. Why does that matter? Because the more you have to go through, there may be um, differences that are slight, but when you see a majority that are saying the same thing that are the oldest and best ones, you can be sure it's accurate. Okay, manuscript evidence is unbelievably solid for the Bible. Are there discrepancies? Yes few hundred thousand of them. Oh, 90 something, 98 and a half, I think, percent are this. Oh, this one says Christ Jesus. This one says Jesus Christ. Aha. Is that really a difference? This one spells Jesus with one letter wrong. 98.5% roughly of the discrepancies are word order, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, or spelling discrepancies. Manuscript evidence is so solid, it's uh, irrefutable. A in maps, archaeology. Thousands of archaeological finds have confirmed the Bible where people made fun of it. I'll give you an example. Um, Mid-1960s, archaeologists find this pillar, dig it up, clean it off, and it says Pontius Pilate procurator of Judea. Not in English, of course. Why, do you, why is that a big deal? Because there was no evidence Pontius Pilate existed on planet Earth until then. Bible right, skeptics wrong. There's thousands of those. P, predictive prophecy. How does the Bible predict with such amazing accuracy stuff that's going to happen 
that is extremely specific. I almost said Pacific. Specific. Um, the Messiah is going to be um, from Galilee, a Nazarene, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. He will have his hands and his feet pierced. Um, they'll pierce his side. Um, none of his bones will be broken, although every crucifixion victim had his legs broken. None of his legs will be broken. Um, he'll heal the sick, raise the dead, rise from the dead. Um, how did they get all those 320 lucky guesses? They're specific prophecies. Um, betrayed by a close friend for 30 pieces of silver, which will be thrown in the temple and used to buy a potter's field. Zechariah. Boy, that's a lucky guess. Is it? S, statistical probability. How do you have 66 books written over 1,500 years by 40 authors on three continents in three languages that all have a continuity and a harmony of the message from start to finish, the redemption of man? Okay, that's going to be on the final. Did you write that down? Just kidding. If you can't prove a doctrine with, script, uh, a, a doctrine with Scripture, you got to throw it out. But if it's in there, you better believe it and obey it. Okay, um, where were we? Back to Revelation. You're running out of time? I know. Don't change the word, verse 18. Don't subtract, don't add. Um, last part of verse 19, God will take away from that person. What person? The one who takes away from the scroll, words. Take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in the scroll. Some have said, oh, see that? That's a believer who has the Holy Spirit who lost his salvation because he changed the word of God. Would a believer who has the Holy Spirit change the word of God? I don't think so. Can a person lose his salvation? We already covered that. I could give you another hundred verses that show you once saved, truly saved, always saved. But 1 John 2, 18, 19, right around there, talks about people that went out from us. They used to be in the church. They seemed like Christians. Now they don't believe at all. That verse says they were never of us. They were never really true believers. They sounded like it. They looked like it. They said, God bless you. They said, hallelujah. One of them raised his hands. They were never really saved. Um, okay. Verse 20, you say, we're close now. Yeah, I know. He who testifies to these things says, oh, someone's going to testify. Who is it? Has to be who? Jesus. Yes, I am coming soon. Who is that? John? An angel? God the Father? Holy Spirit? Eh, eh, all wrong. It's Jesus Christ. And John replies, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, some Bibles right there have the word Maranatha. Have you ever heard the word Maranatha before? It's an Aramaic. It's not Hebrew or Greek. It's Aramaic, and it basically means come Lord Jesus, or the Lord is coming, or the Lord has come back. He's saying, I'm coming soon. There it is again. And John says, amen. The sooner the better. This world is in trouble. We need you back here again. But in the meantime... We're supposed to spread the word, aren't we? Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, we already talked about that. V Romans 8 talks about the 
all of creation groans for the sons of God to be revealed. If creation groans for it, shouldn't we be groaning for it? What do you mean? When will we be revealed? When Christ is revealed from heaven, we're revealed with him. Um, let's take a long detour so we don't make it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we are going to take a detour, though. I promised you this. Go to 2 Peter 3, and I better do this quickly. I got five minutes. I'm going to talk really fast. 2 Peter chapter 3. Um, and I'm going to give you the short version. Verse 8. 2 Peter, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slow, slow, slowness. Why doesn't he come back already? He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens, we read this a couple chapters ago, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Here's the so what for the whole book. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what sort, what kind of people should you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements with, will melt in the heat. You say, oh, that's total destruction. But, verse 13, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness, King James, the home of righteousness. Um, so then, dear friends, the so what? Since you're looking forward to this, make every effort Strain for it, try as hard as you can to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Our, pa our Lord's patience means salvation. That's what I wanted you to see in Second Peter. Knowing all of this, is it just eh, good to have that information? Or does this change the way we live? Hopefully it changes the way we live. Look at that, two minutes early. Um, we are going to quickly, and I mean quickly, review the Bible, not the whole Bible. Revelation starts with a vision of Jesus and he looks way different than John remembers him. He's glorified. Remember the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the name of the book. This book reveals Jesus Christ. It's supposed to spur us to greater worship and obedience. Then we get seven letters, chapters two and three, to seven churches, real churches in that time in Turkey. But there's a message for each one of us. He that hath an ear, Path in here, let him hear. Um, then in chapter four, John gets a vision of heaven, sees the lamb, worshiped angels, and then seven angels blow seven. Uh, sorry, the lamb is able to open the scroll, seven seals. Each seal is a major calamity on earth as a judgment, A, and as a wake up call to get people to repent. Then Two minutes. Then seven angels blow seven trumpets. Each trumpet is an even worse plague to get people to wake, wake up. The time is short, he's saying. All part of the seven-year tribulation. Then there's seven bowls, and those are really the worst. Followed by the Antichrist, during which he takes over planet Earth, one world leader, demands worship, persecutes and kills Christians and Jews. 
demands that people take a number on their hand or their forehead. You can't buy or sell anything, own anything, unless you have that number. And implied in that number is worship of the Antichrist, a human being indwelt by Satan with incredible power. Um, I'm skipping down a bit. Can you tell? Um, then in chapter 19, Jesus returns to the earth. Yay. And rewards believers, punishes Satan and binds him and reigns on the earth for a thousand years. Chapter 20, the millennium. At the end of the millennium, as I said, Satan's released. There's a rebellion. And that proves mankind wants to go the evil way that aren't already saved. We reign with him in the millennium. Satan is judged, thrown into the lake of fire. And then there's a judgment of everybody that ever lived that didn't believe. And they're judged for everything they ever thought or said or did that was a sin. It's not a trial. It's a judgment because God's faithful and true. Then what follows is 21 and 22, the eternal state, the eternal state for believers living in a perfect world with God face to face. Doesn't get any better than that. 30 seconds. We need to remember and put into practice what we've read. It's been a pleasure doing this book and being with you. And we're going to take a few weeks off and then we'll study a new book in January sometime. I'll email you and let you know when. Let's pray. Father, thank you Whew. that we finished. Thank you that you gave us this book. You could have just left us in the dark and make us wonder, what's gonna, how is it all going to work out? But here it is, 22 chapters at the end of, the, of your book written by your son, delivered by an angel, written down by John. Lord, I pray that lives are changed from this book. I pray that each of us have an eternal perspective we didn't have before. We love you and worship you. You're the reason we get to be there someday. So in the meantime, use us for your glory. Help us to see everything a little differently with eternity in mind, with your will in mind. Thank you for the word, God. We love and worship you. We worship your son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We pray all these things in his name with thanksgiving and praise. Amen. Thanks for being here. Make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. They're waiting to see if you'll say hello. And those of you on Zoom, God bless you. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next time.